Hello and welcome back to Pictorial on Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose and I didn't go to art school, but I love learning about art every day anyway. And I'm Betty. I also didn't go to art school, but I also really love learning about art and the history of art and a lot of other things that has to do with art, which I may talk about today. (laughs) This is actually a really special time of year for the podcast because it is membership drive time, which means that we will be having a very special bonus episode coming out soon about a fun topic. But we're going to talk about that more at the end and just get going with our regular episode first. So Betty, take it away. Today's episode is going to, we're going to break it up into two parts uh, because there's a lot to talk about and there's kind of two aspects of this topic I want to talk about. Um, And the topic uh, is actually the Venice Biennale, which is happening right now. Uh, This year is the 59th edition of the Venice Biennale and it started on uh, April 23rd, and it's going until November 27th. Obviously, I, I'm not going to go see it. Uh, it's I don't have plans to go to Venice, even though I would love to. But it is a it's a really, it's a pretty important event in the art world. And there's a quite a long history of it. It's been going on for 127 years. So I thought for this episode, I would talk about its history, what, what's been happening over the last 120 seven years and kind of actually why why it's important because I feel like it's one of those things that a lot of people might have heard about and I definitely knew about it but I actually didn't know I didn't I couldn't really tell you why it was important (laughs) until I started researching you know its history and then we can spend the following episode talking about uh, this year 2022's exhibition. Yeah you told me what the topic was going to be today right before we started recording and I was like hmm Am I supposed to know what that is? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry. I guess I should have started with um Quinn, have you heard of the Venice Venice Biennale? If you haven't, that is totally okay. I really haven't. I'm so excited to learn. Apparently there's a whole thing going on for like half the year and I don't know anything about it. Yeah, th- that's totally okay. And again, I it's like honestly, if you had asked me before researching this, what is the Venice Biennale? I probably could have told you. It's an art thing that happens in Venice, I think, every year. And that would have been all I could have told you. And that would have been wrong because it actually happens every other year, which is why it's called a biennale. It, it, oh. it means biannual. Oh, those Italians. <laughs> I know, right? So it's this big art exhibition that happens in Venice. Uh, there is a main site that is the exhibition it's kind of like you you know um you know how there's a world's fair or or there's like an expo world's fair oh yeah i've heard of them (laughs) yeah so this is like the art version of that kind of so it happens there's uh, a main location it happens in but then there's like a lot of ancillary galleries and shows and events that happens all around venice and yeah it goes on for like half the year in venice every other year um and actually so it's an art exhibition mostly. It happens on the currently is happening on the odd years. Well, actually, sorry. Up until recently, it's been happening on the odd years, but because Got of COVID, it. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so now it's it was this was supposed to be in 2021. So now it's in 2022. I don't know if they're going to keep going with the even numbers going forward, but maybe I I don't know. Uh, but actually, uh, since 1980, on the other alternating year, they do 
a Venice Biennale architecture edition. Ooh. So last year in 2021 was the architecture version. And I presume next year in 2023 is going to be our architecture version again. I'm going to be focusing most of what I'll be talking about this part and the next part uh, just about the art version. Because I'm thinking this, there could be even be a part three next year when they're doing an architecture version of hey, it. Follow up, exactly. So yeah, because again, even just the art portion of it is there's a lot to talk about, and the architecture is kind of its own thing, which I think is why in in the 80s they like what's it called when a TV show is goes into a, a different a spinoff. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In in the 80s they were like we're gonna do a spinoff. It's gonna be the architecture edition. So how did this get started? It got started um, a kind of in a really interesting, or I think it's a pretty interesting way. In 1893, uh, so this was almost 130 years ago, This the city council of Venice proposed this show, which they at the time called it a national artistic exhibition, but it was meant to celebrate the silver anniversary of King Umberto, who was the king of Italy at the time, and his wife, um, the queen Margarita. That year was their 25th wedding anniversary, and I assumed they really liked art. So as a, mm. the city council's gift to them was a national art exhibition. Oh, very Italian. Yeah, so uh, very nice. Like, that's very cool wedding present. Like, you know. What is someone going to get me an art exhibition, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, I guess you might have to be the king and queen of a country. Eh. So um, it actually took them two years to plan it, which is why it didn't actually happen until spring of 1895. So the first ever Venice Biennale was 1895. And I think at the time they just called it the International Art Exhibition of Venice. So it started then, uh, but kind of the the inspiration for the type of art in that they started in the in the beginning was the people who started the exhibition. They were inspired by this art movement called the Munich Secession, which were a group of artists who basically they they kind of rejected the mainstream art movement in Munich at the time. So they kind of formed their own group. So they like seceded from the mainstream and were kind of doing their their own thing. And so, you know, they were a little bit more experimental and things like that. So this show, um, it, it, interestingly, even though it started in Italy and there were some uh, Italian artists, there was actually a lot of German art because I, I think I guess the city council or whoever started the show was just like really ex- obsessed with this avant-garde like German art at the time so so yeah so that's so initially it wasn't really an in- international thing like it wasn't like they started with we're going to invite people from all over the world they kind of started with we really like this German movement let's get some of their art in here <laughs> so uh, so I think it's it started with just Italy and Germany as far as I can tell <laughs> okay Keeping it fairly local. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, technically it's international because there's more than more than one country. Yeah. Um, but, like, that's international the way that things between, like, the U.S. and Canada are international. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the baseball is the World Series because there's a Canadian team. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, um, yeah. So, um, what was kind of interesting about this first... Uh, exhibition was that they actually had over 200,000 visitors to this first exhibition. And for comparison, like the Venice Biennale now is this 
it's probably like the most popular, if not one of the most popular, like art fairs in the world. So these days, it attracts like between 400,000 to 500,000 people, which is also a lot of people. Mm. But you know, back then, it was already like half of what the attendance is today. So I think it started off as like a pretty big thing. Uh, and one thing that was interesting was even in the beginning, they were giving prizes to like the best whatever artwork, the artworks in the show. But I think it was the people who were picking the best artwork were whoever like the committee members were who held the exhibition. But there actually was this really controversial painting that was in the show in, in the first year that was so controversial they actually like removed it from the main exhibition and put it in a tiny little room where they didn't think anybody would go to but then it actually became the most popular artwork of this entire show well of course so yeah and that's we all know if you if you want to want something to gain attention just ban it yeah <laughs> so what was the piece um, it's by an artist named uh, Giacomo Grosso and it's called Supreme Meeting so it's a painting in the middle there's a dead man in a coffin and he's surrounded by a whole bunch of nude female figures and some are like leaning against the coffin some are like looking at the man um, and it, basically it's a dead guy surrounded by naked women which hmm. I'm not shocked that I guess in like the late 1800s, people were like, oh, this is scandalous, disturbing. <laughs> yeah, scandalous. Um, so yeah, it ended up so they yeah, they put it away in this like little room, but it, it became really popular. And I think they ended up doing what's the like 18 late 1800s equivalent of a People's Choice Award. And it won <laughs> like the popular award. <laughs> Love your comparison to, to just an audience vote of being on a People's Choice Award. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like in in their history, it said like it won a prize by a popular referendum, which took place at the closing of the exhibition. And it's like, oh. And okay. then they named it Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but what's actually really uh, kind of sad ab uh, about this is it was actually later sold to somebody who actually or it was sold to someone in the United States who bought it and wanted it transported to the US but apparently during transport there was a fire on the ship and it destroyed the painting. Oh no. Well, that sucks. Yeah, which is why this picture that I'm showing you on Wikipedia is like a really low resolution pixelated version cuz you know, we we I'm I don't think there's a better picture of it unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting to mention this because this kind of sets the tone in a way like the Venice Biennale. I think one of the reasons why it became a big thing and it became important in the art world is it is known by over the history with a number of like controversial events that that took place multiple times, not every year, but uh, you know, like every once every few years, there's something that's like big that happens like this in comparison, you know, to, to like, you know, scandals today is, is very <laughs> low key. But, you know, I'm sure for the late 1800s in Venice, it's like <gasps> naked women or something. <laughs> well, naked non-biblical women, I guess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So wait, so they had so they had this the first year. And then you know, we had our minor scandal as all good art shows should have. But then were they just like, that was great. Let's do it again in two years. Yeah, um, I for, based on what I can tell it, that is what happened. It was originally supposed to be just a 
a, a wedding present, but they were just like, let's keep doing it. <laughs> so like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't find anything that was like, uh, th- that said anything in addition to that. It was just like, this was the first time and then it just kept going. <laughs> That's great. Love something with momentum. Yeah, yeah. So and then I think I guess the next one didn't happen the the following year. So it took another, I guess maybe because it always took them two years to plan it. Then they started calling it the Biennale because it was happening every other year. So good way to lean into it. Yeah, I'm going to assume it's because it just took so long to plan. Or maybe it was intentional. I don't know. It does make more sense. I mean, I don't know how long it went on in the early days, but considering how long it goes, like the whole tourist season, basically, it sounds like in Italy, uh, it makes sense to not have it every year because then you're just kind of always doing it. Yeah, that's true. That that's that's the thing. When it's hap- yeah, if it's happening for 6 months at a time, then then really you're you're just having it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like, so um yeah, so they they started to have it every year and they were they were still really into, you know, this um these like German artworks and uh apparently like one of the there was a really famous or a piece, I guess, that went on to become a really famous uh, work of art was this piece called Judith Two, which uh, by Gustav Klimt. And this one, so it's called Judith Two because it's the second edition of his uh, rendition of uh, Judas and Holofernes. The, I think we've talked about it before. We have. I'll link the episode. Yeah. So um, where, where lots of artists have depicted this biblical scene of Judas cutting off all of Fernie's head. It's very violent imagery and Gustav Klimt, this is his second edition of it and it was in this show and apparently, yeah, this is this is an example of artworks that are really famous, um, kind of like being presented at this show. Um, I, I believe, I think initially it was not always an artwork that's presented for the first time ever, but it just, it's an artwork that hasn't been presented in Italy before. I think that was just the rule of what gets accepted. I see. Okay. Uh, so they started, you know, with a lot of German art, but also included um, Italian artists. And uh, basically starting at around the turn of the 20th century. So in 1901, that show, they started to include uh, kind of more French artists. So I think this was when like French art was becoming, I want to say like up and coming. <laughs> like I, I, I'm assuming that's kind of what's been happening at the time. So in 1901, they included a bunch of artworks by um, French artists like Millet and August Rodin. So here's an example of a like a pretty famous Rodin piece. Like I think there was, they actually put um, 20 pieces of his work, like his sculptures in this show. There, there's starting to be this interest in French art. And the, in 1903, they actually started a section of the, uh, of the Biennale called the Salon des Refusés. So it's, I'm sorry for my French, but it's the Salon of the Refused, which is people who were refused from the the prestigious Paris salon that year got then they they displayed it at this show that's so petty yeah so i so i think one of the things about the way uh the venice biennale started was it was kind of like started by people who were like 
here's some art that's kind of not really accepted by the mainstream because again they started with the Munich secession and then it's the this is these are the people that weren't good enough apparently for this snooty French salon so we're going to show it in our cool trendy new show but as we'll see then eventually you know this became the establishment uh, and they started to refuse other people as well and other people got angry <laughs> hey you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the establishment. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think that's one of the reasons why it kind of started to gain momentum was because I guess it was a it was a place where artists who couldn't get into these traditional institutions can be like, oh, I can show my show my work here. Um, but what's funny is even in 1903, they still weren't accepting impressionists. They were still like, <laughs> no, that's that's way too far like that's not that's too avant-garde even for us <laughs> we can't have those dirty nasty impressionists in here <laughs> yeah exactly so th this description went on to say even by the following uh two years by 1907 they still weren't showing impressionists but this was when they started to include uh american artists for the first time so oh god uh, yeah, I know, right? Scandalous. <laughs> so uh, I think John Singer Sargent was an example of an American artist who he was included in the show in 1907 and apparently also won some award. So they, uh, yeah, so apparently American art was was cool now, but but it wasn't until uh, 1910 that was when they started to show Impressionists. So they, I think there were some, uh, Renoir is an example of an artist that was um, included for the first time in 1910 and then so they were having more and more instances of the show until 1914 which is when world war one uh broke out so the so basically the only times there was a pause in there being uh there being a venice biennale was between uh world war one world war two and COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah. so Hard to have art exhibitions in Italy during World War II. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Especially, especially at this time when it was also, you know, there's still a lot of German and Italian art. This was like the main focus for yeah, a really long time. Not the best time for German art, I would say. Yeah. And but what's interesting is even as early as 1914, uh, there was a group of uh, there was already like another kind of scandal that happened where, uh, you know, they just a few years ago, they were known as, oh, we accept all the people who couldn't get into the Paris Salon. But then they actually refused a few hundred artists in 1914. So those artists who were refused, I think somewhere else in Venice held their own show uh, called, I think, called the refused by the venice biennale so <laughs> a few years earlier venice biennale held the refused of the paris salon and then a few years later it's like and this is the what's refused from the venice biennale it's turtles all the way down <laughs> yeah exactly um uh in any case this didn't go on for too long and i think that after that I don't know. I think there were, there was less less competition um, for them in Venice, as far as we know. And um, and but the other interesting thing that happened around this time was that so initially they just had these exhibition spaces and they kind of just from what I read it seems like they just put art up without really any formal arrangement or thought um but very quickly they realized um it's actually there's actually a lot of like there's actually it's actually an art to 
to display art. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, in terms of um, like how art it works with the interior design of the space and um, kind of like, you know, how, how different colors and finishes and things work with the paintings and things like that. So um, basically, as early as the early 1900s, there started to be this, you know, really interesting relationship between art as well as the decoration and lighting and furnishings. And so going forward, um, I think from like 1907, a lot of the pavilions actually then started to hire professional interior designers and architects to actually design the space that the art was supposed to go in. Yeah, because I mean, that's kind of the whole point of going to see art exhibitions and stuff is because... It's supposed to be a curated experience. It's not, we didn't just slap stuff on the walls places. And it's also like, that sounds to me like a lot closer to the, your comparison earlier to the World's Fair um, is having these like designated pavilions and really highly curated areas uh, that are done within themes and like all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I just kind of, I just threw in a picture in there and I, I couldn't find exactly which show it was from, but it was one of the ones from the early 1900s. And I'm hoping this wasn't one of the examples of that they did put thought into this, but this picture <laughs> seemed like they didn't. Oh my god, what a cutting insult if this is one that they tried for. I was like, I'm sorry, as a professional designer, I look at this and I'm like, I don't think you put too much design into this. See, there are museums like this, but they're usually museums that like, there's they're legally not allowed to move stuff around. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the Gardner Museum. <laughs> Yeah, so so maybe maybe this was just the display style at the time, and and me as a, a somebody from over a hundred years later, I can't understand that taste. <laughs> so that might be that might be the reason. But they did start to apparently put more thought into it going forward. Um, and the other thing that started to happen uh, in 1907 was 1907 was also the first time there was a first foreign pavilion. So Belgium was the first country that built their own building to house Ooh. their art. So this kind of started the trend of it's, or so, so first, this incorporated architecture into the the Venice Biennale, which you know later on we'll see a spinoff of. Um, but it also started the trend of foreign uh, countries coming in to to build like an entire building just uh, to display their art. So here is an example of the Belgium Pavilion, which looks a little scary, but again, maybe it's this is just the taste of 1907. Yeah. So. Gotta feel a little bit dramatic walking into that. It's like a very harsh exterior. The colors are nice. You've got like mm -hmm. a green doorway. You got the little Belgian. Is that is it a, is it a lion? Is it a Belgian lion? <laughs> I don't know. For a second, I thought you were saying like the the squares look like a Belgian waffle. <laughs> like... Oh my god! Hey, they do look like a Belgian waffle. Though, the sides <laughs> of this building. Yeah. So maybe that's what they were going for. I don't know. You know. Honestly, that 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 makes more sense. <laughs> so, anyway, so then the following exhibition in 1909, they so there was a British pavilion, a German pavilion, and apparently a Hungarian pavilion as well. Um, and then the French and the Swedish pavilions were built in 1912. But then, for some reason, the Swedish pavilion, I, I don't I, again. This this explain what happened. It was the, the, in 1914. 
the Swedes, I guess, left and were went to the Netherlands and were like, you can have this pavilion. So then the ne- Netherlands took it over. Huh. And then uh, and then the Russian pavilion was built that year as well. All right. Okay. They, they said, never mind, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe the, the Swedes were like, okay, um, this was fun, but I don't think we want to do it again. I, I'm pretty sure they, they've since come back. But maybe back in 1914, they were just like, nah. <laughs> Things are heating up in Europe at the moment, and we're out, I guess. Yeah, that that makes sense in a way. So around this time, I guess just shortly before World War One, was when it started to become more international, but again, in terms of just international, or I guess intercontinental, because it's all still European countries at the time. Um, but then it, later on in the 30s, uh, I didn't know this, apparently the Venice Biennale started to organize like mini international touring shows um, in other countries. Apparently they went to New York in, in the first year, and then they started to go all over the world, which I guess maybe helped to promote themselves around the world to, I guess, convince other countries to, like, bring their artwork to Italy, which it probably did help because that was also around the time when more and more countries started to participate. Um, So they did organize these abroad uh, uh, mini biennales until the mid-1970s. Apparently, they don't do it anymore because I guess now they're famous enough. They don't need to advertise any further. No more soliciting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So they... Uh, took a break during World War One for obvious reasons, um, and then came back in 1920. And so, oh, okay, this was so after the war was when they they actually kind of like really accepted Impressionists. So in 1920, there were works by like Cezanne, Matisse, um, and and they also included other uh, artists like Van Gogh. So it was, um, I guess, yeah, starting to be, to, to be, you know, for us now, we're just like, oh, okay, these are just normal artists who are in museums. But at the time, it was like, whoa, these people are avant-garde. They're on the cutting <laughs> so, edge. Yeah. And now they're like the most famous artists of all time. <laughs> So in 1922, they included an exhibition uh, where they actually, for the first time, incorporated African sculpture, because this was when African art was pretty popular in France and lots of other uh, parts of Europe at the time. Um, and apparently even then, so the, the the curators of the show did use the word primitive to describe the African sculptures, which is not a surprise, but apparently it actually did cause a lot of people to be really angry even at the time. So I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. But I was actually surprised that people were angry. So Yeah, I mean, I guess the bar is in hell, but I'm glad that people <laughs> at least spoke out about that because that's horrible. Yeah. So after this, another war happened, as we know. And so they took uh, another break, um, but then came back again in 1948. 1948, again, surprisingly, was the first time Picasso's works were uh, incorporated into or were in the Venice Biennale. And he was already really famous at this point. And he was he's actually almost 70 years old, um, but it was the first time. Picasso was in the show apparently uh and it was also the first time they exhibit the, they exhibited the Peggy Guggenheim collection uh which is is this really famous collection uh in the US and continues to be a, you know a pretty big and famous collection um but uh you know this was his first time exhibiting uh in Europe I believe or at least in Venice <laughs> so 
anyway, so I, I think again the, the the show it continues to like incorporate you know these like avant-garde artists uh, at the time so it's like reflecting the popular culture at least like at this time at least in Europe and America um, is what it was reflecting um, so in 1950, uh, they there was a Mexican pavilion for the fr- first time, and it included Mexican artists like Jose Clemente, Orozco, Diego Rivera, and Rufino Tamayo. And there were a bunch of other Mexican artists uh, at the time. And these are just some examples. So in the 1960s, uh, this was when pop art was really famous in the U.S. So this also started to in- incorporate a lot of pop artists. Um, an example was the artist Robert Rauschenberg. And there's also Jasper Johns, Jim Dine, uh, Klaus Odenberg. And apparently the controversy at this time was the French getting very angry that there was too much too many Americans in the show. Oh, my and God. They, they called it cultural colonization. <laughs> so, oh, my and, God. <laughs> so, like, they're like, the Americans are, there's too many Americans. I've had it up to here with the French. <laughs> I know. So. It's not even their show. It's I, it is. <laughs> it's true. It's like, it's, it's it, it at least, I think they were just salty about not being included for a while and then the Impressionists not being accepted. I don't know. They... There's issues. They're projecting. (laughs) Yeah. And then in 1966, they included uh, things like optical art and kinetic art. An example is the Argentinian artist Julio Leparc. Uh, Oh, and they also included the work of a Venezuelan artist, Rafael Soto. So, you know, now South America is in the picture, (laughs) basically. And another thing that happened in the 60s uh, was... Uh, in 1966, this was actually uh, the year, this is really relevant to me personally, but I don't know about other people, but um, I really like uh, the artist Yayoi Kusama. And this was actually the year she, quote unquote, presented at the Venice Biennale for the first time, but she wasn't actually invited. Hmm. She was, she only was able to I want to say sneak in because she was friends with this Italian artist called Lucio Fontana, who was invited officially. He had an exhibition in the show. So apparently he let her in there. She uh, set up on the lawns outside the exhibition and she presented her artwork, Narcissus Garden, uh, which is this artwork that has thousands and thousands of silver balls that she put on the ground. Mm-hmm. She kind of did this just... I guess she crashed the show and she did eventually get removed by security. Like they kicked her out and was like, you can't be here. Um, And, but she, yeah. So, but it, but it, again, it's an, it's an example of now the Venice Biennale has become, you know, the establishment and they were like, we get to decide who, what's art and what's important and what's not. And, you know, for them at this time, Kusama, they were like, no, (laughs) Um, and the, and this, that's significant. I, and I should mention that's significant, not just because, you know, like she's a woman and they're like, no, you're not important. Like, obviously that is a reason. Um, but the other thing is like, along with Lucio Fontana and a lot of people who were invited, like she was a part of this Italian art movement among all these people who were invited to this show. So again, even though she's not Italian, she was a pretty significant member of this group, but they were just like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> so, yeah, I can't imagine why. Exactly. <laughs> so, 
Anyway, um, so yeah, then what happened two years later was actually the show was had to be, I think it had to be stopped and parts of the show couldn't open because there was, um, it was the 1968 protests. And at first I was like, oh, were they protesting because Kusama wasn't in the show? But that was not the reason. <laughs> Like, um, but it, it was a larger, like, wider student protest movement in Italy at the time. It, it and it just happened to also have affected the Venice Biennale. Uh, so they, uh, but apparently, a lot of artists actually did support the protests in solidarity. Some of the artists actually covered up their works or turned them over, and some, I think, just like took their sh- art out of the show and was like you know, I guess we're not doing it this year. <laughs> There's a lot going on in the 60s. Yeah, uh, for sure. It was a very popular time to be protesting. And I, I could definitely see a lot of, even though they are the quote-unquote establishment, I for sure definitely like a lot of artists in this kind of thing would still support that kind of uh, student protest. Yeah, and this the protest actually did have some effects on the show because the following year in 1970, they actually made some changes to the show. So they actually took away what's called the grand prize or grand prizes, which were a bunch of prizes that were given to artists. They they got rid of that. It actually ended up coming back later in the 80s, but at least for a while. They were like, I guess we're not getting giving any awards. Um, and they also eliminated this thing called the sales office, uh, which – is uh, another part of aspect of the show was that they also helped to sell some of the artworks by artists in this show and they charged a commission and that was a part of how they kind of made their revenue so they they got rid of that because they didn't want to be seen as you know a part of the commercialization of art even though they obviously still are but they were they were trying to they were changing up their pr they were trying to show themselves as you know we're we're not we're not the problem. <laughs> so <laughs> we're not like a regular art exhibition. We're a cool art exhibition. Yeah, yeah. And then they also um, started this uh, sub exhibition or like a part of the show uh, where they call it they called it the experimental exhibition, which is, again, they're, they're a way of saying like, we, we want to be more even more avant garde than we already are, basically. <laughs> so mm, Okay. I guess that's cool. Yeah, again, they, they were they were trying, but yeah so but it doesn't mean they all of a sudden just you know let in everybody because obviously that didn't happen um but so it it does show that the venice biennale like it is affected by these social and societal kind of like movements and changes um because the other another example of something that dramatically affected the show was in 1974 the entire show was actually dedicated to the nation of chile and this was um in protest to the chilean dictator uh, pinochet at the time it still featured lots of art from a lot of different countries but it was like the theme and the the movements and there was a lot of like just solidarity like for Chile uh to kind of to reflect what was going on at the time got it yeah I don't know if it's because uh, of Chile being a theme in 1974 but starting in 1980 this was the first time that every exhibition actually had a theme so before it was just this is an art show we have all kinds of art there wasn't really any like overarching topic um but then in 1980 they started to have themes um the first or the first time uh the theme was art as art the next time it was art in the mirror and then the following year was art and science so these weren't like you know very well 
maybe they were exciting at the time, but um, <laughs> they're a little vague. Yeah, they're a little vague. So, but what, I think a lot of art shows, you know, they have these overarching themes. Um, but I think, uh, I mean, the art and science one, I actually, I, like, I thought it was pretty interesting because it was one of the first times where they were incorporating things like art in biology and color and how computers and technology was affecting art um, and the science of art. So it's I like I think it's actually it's actually kind of cool. Like it is an example of they were bridging across disciplines and um, incorporating like science into into the show because you know there's there's a lot of overlap between art and science even though even when even though it seems like there isn't but there is <laughs> yeah yeah it is definitely a good thing to be uh to have as a focus uh there was a um an artist uh called uh Vincenzo Ulysses uh who did a anti-racist initiative uh which and this did also gain a lot of press coverage uh it's where he hung up um black figures by butcher blocks and it was also the first year there was a South African pavilion so you know it's an example of artists who were also um, activists or who wanted to bring attention, you know, to issues like racism uh, into the show. Again, I don't know why. It, I mean, sorry, I do know why. It took until 1986, I guess, <laughs> but for there to be uh, this type of messaging and for it to gain attention. Um, but it is something that was occurring at the time. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely this the entire institution seems like the kind of thing that is very slow moving in lots of ways and is only pushed forward by individual actors within within the artists and other people involved like stepping up and being like let's get things done guys yeah so um and then in 1988, they actually established this uh, other section in the show called Aperto and it's uh, an initiative to um, showcase young artists. So instead of, you know, just showing people who are established in the art world, they did at least try to actively uh, show, you know, someone who is young, who's um, kind of only been in the industry for um, like, you know, a number of years, but who are, you know, showing talent at the time. So they're, they did establish um, an aspect of the show that was, um, yeah, that was like kind of introducing new artists. Um, but this, of course, uh, launched into uh, even more controversy, <laughs> so, which is so in a couple years uh, in 1990, there was a American group called Grand Fury, and they had a artwork that was focusing on AIDS, which again, was obviously a really important topic to bring attention to. But of course, people were like, oh, my God, this is I guess, similar to the very first show where they were like, this is scandalous. You know, there was, there was of course, people uh, who were in the establishments who was like, no, we don't want this in the show. But fortunately, it did make it into the show. Yeah. How dare people talk about real things? <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, at this point, the Venice Biennale has become a thing that, you know, is a lot of different nations participate in it like quite often you know is reflecting contemporary culture and artists um were not just you know re not only representing their countries but they were also bringing attention to um you know important issues around the world at the time it, interestingly um it wasn't until 1995 that they actually had a non-italian director like it 
was there was always an Italian director for the show. And in 1995, f- for the first time, somebody French was the director. Oh, no, the <laughs> and, French have gotten in. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> they, they were... They were like, we we did not like that there was too much Americanism, so we're gonna we're gonna direct the show now. But I I don't again I don't it's not like this guy kicked out the Americans or anything. So that would have been <laughs> honestly really funny. Yeah. So. Um, in 1999, they actually did also have a major renovation of the uh, the site that it took place in in uh, in Italy, and it, they kind of like doubled their exhibition spaces, like because I think you know at this point they became real, uh, you know, a lot more uh, popular, and they really needed to renovate the space. So after this, the shows um, from the 2000s on, actually, this was around the time when it did start to really grow in terms of like attendance and um, just kind of skyrocket in terms of not only how many people were attending the show, but also uh, the amount of countries around the world who participated in it. Uh, it wasn't until 2005 that they actually had uh, women curate the show. So this 2005 was curated by uh, two women, uh, Maria DeCoro and Rosa Martinez. So yeah, 2005, ladies have entered the scene. They invented women in 2005, so. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, oh yeah, I, I definitely didn't exist until 2005. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then in 2015, uh, which was the 56th um, international exhibition of the Venice Biennale, this, was, uh, this show was curated by a uh, art critic and writer, um, Okwi Enwizor, and he's um, from Nigeria and is actually the firstborn African curator of this show. And again, it took until seven years ago for this to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what was great about this show was actually, um, so in 2015, this was the first time that the show attracted over 500,000 visitors. So I, and actually it's 5,000, uh, sorry, 500,000, 1,000 visitors apparently attended this show. And, the, and so there were artists from 53 countries, but then there was actually 89 national pavilions in this year's show. Um, so it definitely, you know, at this point, it, it has grown uh, e- like even more. Uh, and since then, even more countries' pavilions were ha- like are being added to it. And what's still happening is uh, for countries that are not represented in the show uh, around Venice, uh, every year when it's happening, there's always these just kind of like offshoot events. So there would be like unofficial pavilions presented by various nations who weren't included, but then in subsequent years, they would be officially included. So I guess maybe, I don't know, they were just like, oh, I didn't know they were interested. Okay, we'll invite them next year. <laughs> It does seem like this entire thing is being dragged kicking and screaming into the present day and just like acknowledgement that non-white men exist. But, you know, every step counts. We're getting there. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, But what is what is interesting is um, in 2017, there was actually a pavilion called the Diaspora Pavilion, which Mm. was just a pavilion not of like any singular nation or national background. It was a pavilion of artists from various like complex multinational backgrounds. So I guess they're in diaspora. So it but it wasn't just one particular one. It was artists from various different diasporas coming together for their own pavilion. That sounds really cool. 
Um, and then something I think you'll like, uh, as we talked quite a lot about uh, cyber art, uh, in 2009, uh, a pavilion called the Internet Pavilion was started. And so it is artworks by people who make art on the internet. Incredible. You love to see it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Which brings us to uh, this year. So uh, this year, for the second time, woo, it's a female uh, curator. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> another <laughs> woman? They found another one? Oh, my God. I, cannot, I can't believe it. Uh, so this year, um, it was. Uh, it's being curated by Italian curator uh, Cecilia Alemani. And the theme of this year, very interestingly, is called The Milk of Dreams. The Milk Milk, like what the thing you drink that's from a cow of dreams. Okay. We'll talk more, I think, next time about more what it means or what it's trying to mean. Or, But 2019, this was before they we knew there was COVID. Uh, the theme of 2019's show was, may you live in interesting times. I would prefer not to, but I have not been given a choice. <laughs> so anyway, so maybe for the theme this year, they were like, let's not make it something that is, I don't know, understandable. If this triggers <laughs> some kind of milk related apocalypse, we know who to blame. Exactly. <laughs> so, it, it's the French. No. <laughs> Next time we, uh, yeah, we'll get into a little bit more of this year's show, you know, what it's about and what are some of the interesting things that are happening in it. Um, but you'll have to, you'll have to come back uh, in a couple weeks. In the meantime, we also invite you to perhaps listen to some bonus episodes of Victorial. It is the membership drive time at Relay FM, which is the one time a year when we're like, hey, we have a membership program. If you maybe <laughs> didn't know that, uh, you can join whenever you want, but we just decided to remind you about it today. Um, so there's all sorts of bonus content all year round. There is a Discord that is exclusive to members. It's really fun in there. There's all sorts of tons of channels. There is also a general stuff about the Relay FM network that's really cool, including a behind the scenes newsletter. You can get wallpaper packs, which are these gorgeous wallpapers for your like, computer or phone that are made out of all of the show art. So you can get pictorial, our gorgeous artwork. You can get um, pictorial backgrounds wallpaper for stuff, which is so fun. And then this is the real juicy part. You get the crossover podcast feed. This is a members-only feed, and this includes uh, special members-only shows that happen all year round, um, like Backstage, which is where the founders of Relay FM, uh, Mike Hurley and Stephen Hackett, talk about podcasting and behind the scenes at Relay, and also Fusion, which is every month there's a special bonus episode with a couple hosts of the network talking about a topic. I believe we've both been on Fusion, right? Have you been on it? Honestly, I don't even remember. I think it's possible. Well, that's <laughs> so. exciting. Go subscribe to the members feed and then go look if Betty's on it or not because she doesn't remember. <laughs> I've definitely been on it. <laughs> um, but it's also that has all of the annual specials. And we, if you're listening to this episode when it comes out, our annual special is dropping tomorrow. As some l previous listeners or those who may have heard us talk about previous membership specials may know, our theme of the membership specials happens to be kind of fictionalized versions of the art world, or we watch a movie or a show that is about art or about an artist, but it's 
fictionalized in a way. <laughs> Usually not very accurate. It's very fun. Yeah. yeah. So, um, the, you know, the first time we talked about we talked about the movie The Da Vinci Code. That was like great. <laughs> so you should definitely check that one out. But uh, and last year we talked about the. A uh, movie, The Grand Budapest Hotel, significantly better movie than The Da Vinci Code. <laughs> Not even close. Um, and this year, uh, we are actually going to be watching a TV episode. and is an ep- episode of the show Doctor Who, and it's an episode where Van Gogh shows up. Yeah, we, this came up briefly on another episode. I think maybe we were talking about musicals because there's so many musicals that people have written about Van Gogh. I think this is when this got mentioned. Um, but yeah, there's an episode of Doctor Who that's all about Van Gogh, and it's actually very sweet. And it's one of my favorite episodes. I've seen it before. Betty hasn't seen it. And so we are both going to watch it and come here and talk about it. And it should be a lot of fun. So if you want access to that and the previous specials and the previous specials made by Every single person on the network going back the last like seven years this network has existed, you could do that now by just subscribing uh, at relay.fm slash membership. It's five dollars a month and you get all of that and we'll love you. And that's a nice perk too. It's the best perk. <laughs> our, our love. Love. <laughs> All right. Regardless of anything, thanks everybody so much for listening to this episode today. So excited to hear more in part two in two weeks. Now, uh, if you want to see our show notes, you can find them at relay.fm slash pictorial. Um, You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram at pictorialpod. And you can find me on Instagram at aspiringrobotfm. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at ArticulationsV. I'm also on YouTube as Articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we also have a YouTube channel for Pictorial Podcast where we upload video versions of our audio episodes. Um, It generally happens a little while after the audio versions. um, But for this one, when it comes out, you can look at some historic views of really poorly designed um, (laughs) places where they held art exhibitions. (laughs) Thanks for listening, art enthusiasts.